0: Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond.
1: Hello again everyone and welcome to Reformed Podmatics. I'm Pastor Mark
0: and I'm Pastor Zach
1: and we thank you for joining us this week for a conversation that uh, will be on the thoughts and minds of many people in the coming week. That is a conversation about the life and work and theology of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Hmm. And so um, we're going to We're hoping to have a bit of a shorter episode. This is kind of a primer on what the situation was that Martin Luther King Jr. lived in and uh, sought to remedy, and uh, we'll also talk a little bit about some ecclesiastical church matters, um, particularly asking this question of the wisdom of um, church worship services celebrating the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. And so um, that's the general outline and uh, hopefully this can be illuminating and helpful to people as they move into next week, which will be Martin Luther- the celebration of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And uh, we um, I don't think we're being reactionary or uh, trying to cancel anyone during this conversation, but yet at the same time just have our eyes open about um, some of the wonderful things that the Lord accomplished through Martin Luther King Jr. and also some of the cautions that might accompany a um, a rose-tinted view of his life.
0: Yeah, so a lot of this falls into that category of how do we properly understand and learn from heroes, mm-hmm. uh, whether they are heroes or heroes of uh, the church or of broader society or so on. Uh, how do we properly examine their lives and uh, genuinely benefit from the things that they can teach us and as well as... Uh, be honest about their shortcomings and their failures as well. Um, I think we've talked a little bit about it before, but cancel culture is a pretty prevalent thing in our world today. And so it's really easy for us to be reactionary, especially to people who have fallen in various ways, uh, to totally throw the baby out with the bathwater. That's sort of the tendency of our world today. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's going to be part of this conversation as well as we reflect on the life and legacy and work of Dr. King. Yeah,
1: but on, and on the other side of that, I would say that some people might be overly cautious in celebrating Martin Luther King Jr. because oh, yeah. it could be perceived as... Being woke. Yeah, <laughs> being too woke, being like a social justice warrior, being oh, yeah. a social gospel advocate. And so um, that oversensitivity to that sort of political Um, uh, understanding of the holiday can get in the way of celebrating an amazing development that the Lord brought, uh, the the courage, the eloquence of a man who really stood up for justice and who wanted there to be an increase of peace and righteousness in America. And so uh, that is something like that the Bible tells us that annual celebrations of remembrance are good things. And uh, that's the purpose of the Passover and um, different festivals in Israel. Um, I don't think that we should be opposed to all sort of remembrances as sort of the Puritans became at one point. Um, It's good to have holiday in January where we look back on um, the life of a man who made a huge positive impact in American society. And so we do so hopefully with our eyes open. And um, that requires us to have our eyes open to the situation yeah, the in context. which in which King um, ministered, in which he was raised, in which he lived. And so um, first we want to get into that a little bit. I think uh, we were talking about this before the podcast started. Um, it's easy to look at historical events and uh, glaze over just how bad things really were um whether we're talking about yeah. the 30 years war or the reformation or the civil rights movement um we understand things from our context and so we would we would see um how uh, black and white people have uh, great friendships and you know even I go to the prison and and there we are with our ministry with um, with black men, white men, Hispanic men, Asian men, you know, we're all together and uh, experiencing a lot of brotherhood and fraternity in that place, and can can very easily um, see this this amazing thing that the Lord is doing and bringing people together from different races today, um, and say, oh well, let's project that backwards onto how society has sort of always been and everything that draws attention to a bad thing in American society is just sort of an exaggeration. Um, I I certainly um, don't want uh, us to to think about Martin Luther King as entering a world in which we inhabit today because it was in a lot of ways a very different world. Um, I don't know any, any thoughts on what that world was like or Uh, how we can understand his context a little bit better, Zach?
0: Yeah, we just need to have open minds to to what you're saying, I think, that Mm -hmm. very clearly the world was not the way it is now, Um, especially in regards to the racial um, tensions that Mm -hmm. were uh, were in existence prior to the civil rights movement. Um, That's a really good point, that the world was not like the way it is now, and in so many ways we live in the wake of Mm -hmm. the civil rights movement we live on the other side. If you can think of, maybe some people would say we're still we're still living through the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. And there's a case to be made for that. But um, in some pretty objective way, I think it's quite clear that racial tensions are better than they were uh, 60 years ago mm. um, at the start of the 1960s.
1: Especially in certain regions of America.
0: Yeah, oh yeah. Um, yeah. Um, Still, does that mean things are perfect? No. Does that mean we've we've sort of reached the promised land that Martin Luther King Jr. talked about? Uh, also, no. Um, but have things improved for the better? I think that that much is clear. What we're seeing now, however, at least in 2020 with a lot of the Black Lives Matter movement is that we still have a long ways to go. Mm. Um, at least that's the idea of some people. And so mm. we are still working through the racial... T- discussions and racial, racial reconciliation, uh, project, uh, very much in our own world today. Uh, but I think pretty objectively things are better. And there's an interesting statistic that I'll let you share. You, mm-hmm. you found the statistics. So I'd love to yeah. hear you.
1: Well, on that. And, and part of the reason we talk about how things are getting better today, I, we believe is to point out how bad things were then. Yeah. <laughs> like, and so we're not saying that to, Glaze over just the struggles that uh, that Black people have in American culture today, um, but we are saying that to say, holy cow! When you really research the life of a Black person in the South in the nineteen, say, the late forties and fifties, and and even you know long before that Reconstruction era, of course, pre Civil War, um, this was a a difficult life. And um, one statistic that I found was. From 1882, which is after, of course, the American Civil War, to 1968, so that's over the course of about 80 years, um, there were almost 5,000 lynchings across the United States. And um, that number is maintained by the NAACP, and 72% of those lynchings were black citizens of our country. So almost 5,000 public murders happened um, a lynching is actually a, a pretty precisely defined term it's it's where it is believed that somebody has committed a crime and instead of allowing for the uh, the process of justice to unfold as it should according to the constitution, uh, a mob or a group of people um, enacts um sort of a vigilante justice and just goes and finds somebody and um, regardless, no trial has happened um, regardless of their innocence or guilt or the evidence, uh, this person is murdered publicly I
0: mean, it's not even nearly proportional to the crime the, the, right. the act of lynching often it's you just looked at somebody the wrong way or you looked at somebody's daughter the wrong way
1: right, and so that would be the, the famous Emmett Till case where he was accused of flirting with a white woman in a drugstore and was was very very terribly tortured and and killed and so um that killing of Emmett Till was the um the breaking point for a lot of people there were others as well the lynching of Jesse Washington in Waco Texas um was also a, an incredibly terrible event that pictures were taken of this this um, white people surrounding uh, a black man being being murdered smiling laughing While he's being tortured is um, just an unthinkable thing, and it is a real thing that happened in America. And so, uh, we we start with lynching because um, it's the most direct, and uh, I would say it's the most direct threat to the actual life of. Of black a, a, of, of a black citizen in america um there are there are of course other issues but that's the a fact pretty that, shocking number too it would, it'd yeah. be easy to think
0: that that would just be over the course of that's almost 90 years it's 86 years 1882 yeah. to 1968 um you would think maybe 500 to a thousand
1: sure and that uh, would even be a high number
0: and this yeah. is yeah 40 over 4,700 uh so that's pretty shocking yeah and jarring so of course the
1: kkk was involved in a lot of this activity um so we we said 72 percent of those victims were black there were uh chinese victims of lynchings um many white people who cooperated with um uh caring for black citizens or, or getting involved in causes that would say be uh lead towards desegregation things like that mm-hmm. um could be the victims of a lynching as well so there's this um there's this possibility for any person um particularly living in the south that um one false step would lead to um no trial just sort of uh vigilante justice being meted out to you and and so that it it is a strange thing to think about living in that world but that was the reality for a lot of people in um in particularly the american south but in other states as well um i want to say there's something like only seven or eight states in the union where there have been no recorded officially recorded lynchings and so that means that in more than 50 or sorry more than 40 there have been which is a sad reality but um Particularly where Martin Luther King Jr. comes into the uh, conversation is regarding uh, legislation to um, to protect the civil rights and advance the civil rights of uh, of black citizens of America, and so um, I, I would put those in two categories. There is first the right to vote, and that came, of course, through the the Civil Rights Act, the voting sorry the Voting Rights Act um, in the '60s, and the. Uh, effort to overturn segregation policies. So segregation, of course, Hmm. um, being mandated in many Southern states, really all states of the Southeastern United States from Texas to the Atlantic Ocean, Hmm. um, mandated segregation in public schools until um, Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954. So um, this is a a very different world uh, in in a lot of ways, and, uh, and it didn't just change overnight. I think that sometimes when we look back at historical movements and moments, we want to say, oh, Brown versus the Board of Education happened, and then everything was integrated and good again, or, or good, um, maybe for the first time. But that's that was in 1954. But in, in the, the 60s still, um, you had somebody like George Wallace preventing black students from enrolling at... university of alabama except for the national guard coming in to telling him to stop and so that's 10 years later still where segregation is still being practiced and um so martin luther king jr um, rallied people to uh these causes drawing attention to them and um did so often from a very stirring and eloquent uh pulpit uh so he would he would preach sermons in churches and he would um, of course, had his famous I Have a Dream speech and, um, and so forth, going around, writing letters, um, getting involved in both political and, and church matters. And that's and, something we can yeah.
0: talk about, too, is just his, his brilliance of communication, yeah, um, which really helped get the message across in a profoundly powerful way. Uh, anybody who listens to Martin Luther King, the first thing you'll notice within seconds of, of him starting to speak is how spectacularly powerful he was in the way he communicated. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was also true of his letters, too. And I can remember reading the the letters uh, from the Birmingham jail as a child in in elementary school and understanding what he was saying and being really captivated by what he was saying. Um, And so, and you listen to him, all the speeches he gives, they're just eloquent. Mm -hmm. And not, not only are they brilliant poetically in the way that they come across and the cadence and so on Uh, but you could tell he was a mastermind of what he was doing Mm -hmm. Um, and that was that's always been really um, interesting to me as a as somebody who teaches and preaches um, just thinking about how how much that sort of thing matters Um, the, the form of your message the form and the content must go together if you just have content but it's humdrum and dry Hmm. It's not, it's not reaching its full potential. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So there's an appeal to not just the mind, but the heart, and I think that that is one of the legacies of Martin Luther King is to have that great combination of deep thought. And um, in pre- preparation for this podcast, I read through quite a few of his letters and. Um, uh, sermons and, and things of that nature, uh, even some papers that he wrote during his time at Boston University. And he was a massive intellect. He was an extremely well-read man. Um, he was widely read as well in terms of the breadth of his knowledge, covered uh, a very large, yeah, a large span of different um, approaches to the world. And so... I think that is one of his, his legacies is to combine that ethos and pathos, the, yeah. um, the character of the message with the heart that, that you're trying to reach in speaking.
0: If he had just been writing a, or speaking in a technical way, yeah. like an intellectual way, it would have hardly had the same effect. Um, but yeah, he reached people's hearts. He captured people's imaginations for what the world could look like, um, which is at that time probably quite difficult to do to imagine a world where there is peace between the races, there is Mm. a sort of legal equality, if not a real social equality. Um, You have to change not only people's minds, but you have to help them form an imagination for what the world can look like. And you do that by speaking to their heart. And that is what he did.
1: Yeah, and another thing that I appreciate is um, the connection between uh, that he was very clear about making between the error or the the grievance that um, many black people had with the solution that they were seeking. And so it was often a very direct correlation. Yeah, um, yeah and so, uh, for example, looking at voter rights in Alabama and then having the march to Selma um, for that very specific reason and um, uh, people knowing what they're about and the, the goal is uh, tangible, it is measurable. I mean, this can't, of course, always be the case. There are all kinds of times in the Christian life where the goal is not going to be exactly measurable. But um, I think that part of his great success was finding those those battles that were... Um, we, can, we can measure what success will look like here, and we can see progress here, whether that's a sanitation workers' um, union, um, or a bus boycott in Montgomery, or uh, you know the the uh, voting rights issue in Selma, and so, uh, or or even <laughs> um, imprisonment issues where he's he's getting arrested, and people are becoming more and more aware. Wow, people just get arrested for really not doing anything, um, and, and bringing attention to that. Um, to that specific issue, that's part of the letter from a Birmingham jail. So That
0: contrasts quite a bit from the way that protests are conducted in our world today. So yeah. Even to speak of the NFL and the kneeling that's been going on there, something that hits closer to home for me is uh, as a soccer fan, I watch a lot of English Premier League soccer. Hmm. Before every game, starting mm-hmm. last season, they kneel. Every player on the field kneels right before the game starts for about five seconds. It's not long. Mm-hmm. And the commentator's Always say they're now kneeling uh, to show their support for uh, racial.
1: Um, yeah, there's no justice. room for racism. And, no room yeah, for racism
0: yeah. is the tagline. No room yeah. for racism. And so there's always something that's said just very sort of casually at the beginning of the game, and then, then they all stand up and they play. Yeah. And it makes you wonder if, if they're kneeling because of r- racial issues. That's sort of a nebulous thing <laughs> to be kneeling for. I don't have any problem with it, really. It's okay. They're showing support for uh, for racism or against racism. That's that's fine. It's no big deal. Um, but when when will it stop? When will, is this just going to be going on for fifty yeah. years? Because there's always going to be perceived injustices happening. Um, and I'm not saying it needs to stop or whatever. Honestly, I I don't care that much. Mm. Um, but it's just. It's interesting. It's like a part of the sport now Mm. and when 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 will it have fulfilled its purpose presumably never really Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the interesting thing about that kind of protest whereas King's protests were hitting people where it hurt and Mm -hmm. was actually causing people to have to reflect on certain practices and institutions or regulations that were existent in American society even in American law Mm -hmm. and to get those laws to be changed so it was measurable in that way, and it had a very specific aim, and therefore it actually produced the sort of progress that was being sought.
1: Yeah, and there's a satisfaction in seeing those gains when the um, when the goals are are well laid out. Um, that's not always going to be the case because there is going to be racism until Christ returns. Um, yeah. Um, But I I see your point in that it can cause people to be disillusioned when you're just protesting generally, yeah. you know, uh, sometimes uh, defund the police sort of took on that, that um, it was like, we don't like the cops, you know, it was was sort of like how it ended up being interpreted. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And um, there were some alternatives offered in, in various cities. Um let's put more money into um caring for police uh psychological well being and 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 encouraging uh social workers to uh respond to certain types of infractions and things of that nature. And so some of those are, are practical considerations, but I think that we could also be honest that a lot of it was just sort of an anti authoritarian angst that had been building up during COVID and came out um, in the form of really rebelliousness. It's, it's important always for a Christian to distinguish between uh, what is conscientious objection or pushing back on an injustice that one sees, which is a good thing to do, um, which Daniel did and of course, the book of Daniel, um, to distinguish between that good um, response to injustice or evil with just a rebellious spirit that is, and so it, sometimes two different people could do the very same action, participate in a protest, for example, one with a a, a good heart and a, even a Christian motive, and the other person is just there to stir up trouble, whether that is um, going to the Capitol in uh, January 6th of last year, and there would have been people in that crowd who did not enter the Capitol building who um who maybe were there for some defensible reasons. Maybe we should do an um, episode on that. Yeah. Um but then there would have been others who were who were just had a rebellious spirit and want to hmm. to see uh to see things burn a little bit. Um and so no matter if we're talking about Black Lives Right, Black Lives Matter riots or the Capitol Riot, um I, I think that uh that one can uh look to Martin Luther King's ideals to help distinguish between the uh, product, the productive protester and the raucous and unproductive, even sinful protester.
0: Yeah, that is interesting uh, sort of material to think through. Yep. Um, so that's, I would say overall, I think both of us are appreciative of Dr. King's protests or appreciative of the uh, civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in generalities, at least, yeah. how
1: could you not be? Yeah, how, yeah.
0: <laughs> the world is, at least our part of the world in the United States is. I think you can say without a shadow of a doubt, objectively better than it mm. was. Yeah, um, it's not perfect by any means, um, but there it was a success um, in bringing about. Uh, more equality for for all people and I think that that um, dovetails really well with the teachings of God's word there's Mm. and so it has it has created um more of a love and a friendship between people of all races um than there than existed generally before that and so um I think in all those ways we are really thankful for the work of Dr. King Mm -hmm. um But I think we also are are cautious against um, hagiography, against uh, turning him into a blessed saint uh, where we think he can do no wrong and was just this perfect uh, godly man. We also want to be thoughtful in some of his shortcomings as well and being honest about those and thinking through how that sort of uh, affects how we remember him Mm -hmm. and the celebration of his day on the secular calendar calendar as it were
1: yeah and so um, there's one thing in particular that we could talk about this is the uh, um i don't know if i would call it a trend really right now but i, I think it was a trend maybe a couple of years ago um was to have churches gather um, including the gospel coalition hmm. gathering to remember and and celebrate him in particular. Um,
0: As a great Christian leader.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and so when, when that happens in a church setting, um, especially on a Sunday morning, um, yeah. it sort of can easily transition into that hagiography that you mentioned. And maybe if people aren't familiar with that word, a hagiography is where um, a biography or a study is done of somebody that is just so applauding and um, mm-hmm. just almost fawning over this person because of the contributions that they've made and turning almost an intentionally blind eye towards the errors or mistakes that the person would have made in their yeah. life. Um, P-
0: putting them up on a very, very high pedestal right. as if they were faultless.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so that um, both of us perceive is often done with various people, including Martin Luther King Jr. We might be uh, guilty of it at times. If we think of somebody like John Calvin or Jonathan Edwards, um, mm. who who had errors in their life and who sinned against God in some significant ways, um, mm. we we should be careful to hagiographize our heroes, um, and and go and you know point out the the speck in the eye of of the one the <laughs> yeah. the, the people on sort of the other side, you might say for however you might distinguish sides, um, mm-hmm. we don't know. But uh, in the case of Martin Luther King Jr., um, one does need to have their eyes open to two things in particular, theological error and personal moral failing. Hmm. And so that takes the form of um, preaching what is often not the true gospel, more of a moralistic uh, approach to Christianity, The the idea that um, the Civil Rights Movement was really propelled by a desire for um, uh, basically the moral teachings of Jesus to be more realized in America and often leaving the cross, the forgiveness of sins, um, the resurrection of Christ more as a footnote to mm-hmm. that movement. Um, it would have been good to be more forthright and, and, and uh, clear about the gospel itself. Mm -hmm. being about the forgiveness of sins. Now, one of the themes of Martin Luther King's preaching was that Christians often make the mistake of making it only a spiritual issue, and they are just about going to heaven someday and having their sins forgiven, having salvation. You're going to then go to heaven. It doesn't really matter if my neighbor is suffering. that is a a prevalent issue. It's a fair critique, but that does not dismiss then the lack of mention of something like grace and the forgiveness of sins um, of the, the atonement of Christ, the son of God incarnate who died on the cross for us. Uh, That is the Christian message. According to first Corinthians 15, that is the gospel that we proclaim. And so um, King was uh, not only light on this matter, but in some of his writings very clearly um, opposed uh, some very basic Christian doctrines.
0: Yeah, where the aim was basically moral change in the manner mm-hmm. of Christ or in the way mm-hmm. of Christ. So Christ is seen not so much as Savior as he is seen as Lord. Um, and so there's there's some people who would see Jesus as their Savior but not their Lord. Mm. Um, I, I yeah. think it's It seems to me that sometimes King, I think, is in danger in the ways that he puts things of seeing Jesus really just as a moral exemplar, he sort of sets the pattern for how social change is supposed to happen in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, Nonviolence, in particular. So yep. he he's sort of he comes after really the heyday of the social gospel movement, which takes place about a generation before him at the turn of the twentieth century. Um, so the late eighteen or late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. But I think he's very much in that vein um, where he sees in Jesus a sort of paradigm for social change. Um, Which he
1: is that, but (laughs) he is that among other more important things.
0: Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so that is a glaring issue if we're talking about the orthodoxy of of Martin Luther he also which sort of coincides with this uh, doesn't see jesus as being the preexistent eternal son of god equal with the father uh, but sort of has a um a fatally flawed view of christ's divinity uh so Mark, do you want to read that that yeah. quote? This we can actually give people something to to chew on sure. here. Sure,
1: it's uh it's from his he wrote uh, the Humanity and Divinity of Jesus and Which he, comes from his education days, right? Yeah, this is to, while he's being but educated. A little earlier. Um so I I think it's written in a paper um and uh basically to summarize the point that he makes, uh he confirms the humanity of Jesus um and he tries to explain his view of the divinity of Jesus by using what is essentially a 19th century German liberalism view. Yeah. Um, he even mentions Schleiermacher as, uh, as being an influence uh, here. And so he says, um, we may find the divinity of Christ not in his substantial unity with God, but in his filial consciousness and in his unique dependence upon God. And that those are some big words there. Um, I'll keep reading to explain a little bit of what he means. Hmm. It was his feeling of absolute dependence on God, as Schleiermacher would say, that made him divine. Yes, it was the warmness of his devotion to God and the intimacy of his trust in God that accounts for his being the supreme revelation of God. That is really important. Yeah. So it's not in his nature itself, but it is in his closeness to God that his people devotion, saw this, his love. Yeah, sort of example of uh, he, so he would probably read um, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 saying he's the perfect image of the invisible God by meaning he is kind of a representation of God mm-hmm. uh, because he's so loving and morally pure. Um, now, um, it's possible that he uh, backed away from that in later years. That That's a real possibility, but um, certainly we can say that uh, the cross, the forgiveness of sins— um reconciliation to god justification was mm-hmm. not r- at the core of his message as much as kind of the the moral teachings of Jesus hmm. and and we're not we're not saying all this just so to cancel Martin Luther King Jr or to say that oh, no. you can't celebrate him on the holiday but we are saying it to guard Christians in particular from exalting him as kind of the ultimate Example of uh, the Christian pastor, um, mm-hmm. especially um, well, we'll get to in a moment. Um, because of these errors, um, not yeah. because we dis- we disagree with any kind of political thing or even practical approach that he took um, in terms of protesting and um, using uh, you know mm. s- local civil authority to enact change. Those are all good things. Um, yeah, but. Uh, the theology was suspect, and uh, the personal life, of course, as well, is well documented that, that he was, uh, he particularly struggled with sexual sin in various ways, being a serial adulterer, having mistresses mm-hmm. in various cities. Um, and we, we don't say this to just tear him down, but we do say it uh, to recognize that, um, that while he did some wonderful things, he was not the paragon of moral virtue. That many people have sort of made him out to be.
0: And that's particularly where the hagiographizing Mm -hmm. begins to happen, is that when we celebrate the great legacy of Martin Luther King, we so quickly overlook the way that he took advantage of women sexually. It makes you wonder, why are we so quick to cancel failures? um, Mm. People who have failed greatly, like one recent one being Robbie Zacharias or Bill Hybels, would or, be. Bill Hybels um, or, or many others. But we, then we want to also turn a blind eye at the same time uh, to the failures, the similar failures of Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a great problem. And so from what I can tell, if, if he holds on to that quote, what he says there about the divinity of Christ uh, throughout his life, um, just right there I think you can say, I don't think this rises to being the, I don't think he rises to the level of a Christian of an orthodox Christian. Mm-hmm. I think that is a absolute denial of the divinity of Christ as confessed by the historic orthodox church for the past 2 millennia. Uh, so that right there is a not just a red flag but that is a it's a deal breaker. It's a deal breaker in terms yeah. of calling him a Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also his his lifestyle is it's extremely sad and disheartening. Uh, to hear about it, um, there's a whole book that has come out now by, I think he's a British intellectual and historian um, named David Garrow, who has chronicled a lot of um, the sort of misadventures, you could say, yeah, of it's rated R stuff King, for sure. Yeah, and so th- th- this at least puts him in the same category as a Carl Bart, who similar things have come out about him as well, about uh, sexual sin and um, adultery. Um and so it, we we have to take it all with a grain of salt. We have to take Martin Luther's legacy as it is and not as we would like it to be. Um and so mm. has he helped the the world progress in terms of racial relations between whites and blacks and everyone else? I think that you can say that he has. Mm. I think that's pretty much undeniable. Uh, but is he the paragon of virtue? I don't think we can say that a- at all. Um, and so our celebration of him should be an honest, sober celebration of him.
1: Yeah, and uh, maybe just one one final thought is that I, I can't help but wonder if the cross and the forgiveness of sins, um, if that were core to his ministry, hmm. um, how... How different it would have been in his own life and how different his own personal morality would have been um, yeah and so uh, it's a it's a connected issue it might seem like a disconnected issue the theology um, Christology who is Jesus and the moral failings but I think they are very much a connected issue because the Christian lives a synthesized life and hmm. so because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We think differently about ourselves. We think differently about the civic world around us. We think differently about the, the new the new creation and the promises of, um, of God being fulfilled um, either hmm. now or, or in the future. Um, sort of uh, God's promise of justice uh, being something we work towards here, but always do so knowing that there won't be perfect justice in this world until Christ returns. So I, I can't help but think about that core theological issue of who is Jesus being related to all of sort of the, the errors that you might say. And, Oh yeah, I think um, that's
0: absolutely. And and then what we need to do with,
1: with that, that thought is turn it in on our, our own selves is to say, well, how does the suffering and death and resurrection of Jesus how is that really mm-hmm. synthesized into all the areas of my life as well? That's kind of the personal application, you might say, of the podcast here. Yeah.
0: Um, I, and, I, I, yeah. I think that for Luther, Martin Luther, if, you're, if, he, if he looks at yeah. Christ as the great moral example, mm-hmm. and then the whole part of being a Christian, Christianity really is boiled down to a moral progress mm-hmm. right, and having moral progress in yourself, then you can begin to play the game of, am I doing mostly good or mostly bad in the world? And so he, he I don't know if this is true. I don't know his inner life or his inner psychology, um, but he, he, it, it could be very easy to think, well, I'm doing so many, so many yeah. good things in yep. the world. What does it really matter if I have 42 mistresses, yeah, you know, or if I just go crazy this week? I'm, I'm really in, in the whole grand scheme of things. My life is pushing in a moral direction and I'm making a dent on the world in a good way. And so you can sort of play the balancing act of how much sin can I still have attached to my life mm. Whereas if you really reckon with the cross and what has happened at the cross, you see that God takes sin seriously and that my sin is absolutely going to destroy my life mm-hmm. and that I can play no games with sin, that I must see Jesus as the Lord of all my life, not just as my moral pattern that I must live my life into, but he is the one who has he has dealt with my sin in a definitive way on the cross. I, If I am baptized into the cross, I am baptized into the cross and to resurrection. My sins are are supposed to be left behind and I'm supposed to live in a totally new life Mm. under the shadow of the cross for the rest of my life. And so I think that you're absolutely right. Uh, The atonement of the cross really, um, changes how we live with regards to sin in our lives. And it doesn't let us make friends with it in any way, even in the smallest ways. Um, or in big ways, we, we have to completely avoid it. That is the calling of the Christian.
1: Yeah, and so um, if I were to summarize uh, the episode, I would say let's embrace his warning to not spiritualize our Christianity. That was so <laughs> much his frustration often with white moderates was yeah they just are waiting to go to heaven. They're just talking about the soul. They're not talking about the suffering of their neighbors, which is <laughs> real. So we, em- I embrace that um that ideal and that, that goal, that that was an ideal that Jesus promoted, um, while at the same time, uh, being careful in, uh, canonizing him, hmm. um, which actually has literally been done by some kind of church. Uh, they call him St. Martin Luther King Jr. Oh boy. Uh, I, I, forget who exactly does that, but I, I found that online yesterday. <laughs> That's just and, arbitrary. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, So, uh, and, and doing the same with maybe our other heroes, uh, to the Hmm. extent that they erred, we should hold them loosely, um, or maybe even let go of the influence of, um, of, of those who had a pervasive, constant, unrepentant issue in their, in their life. And so, um, in this world of cancel culture, that's kind of a hard thing to do to know when to let go of. Mm -hmm. a a leader or teacher and when to take the good that we can and uh, and continue reading or even continue trying to seek towards the goals that Hmm. somebody has posited uh, for us and so uh, thanks for listening to the podcast yeah and uh, we're interested to keep hearing from those who are listening we've Uh, Had a great year last year, um, almost 8,000 downloads over the course of last year. Who would have thought? (laughs) I know, it's amazing. Um, Thank you for your regular listenership. I I think we have about 115 people who are regularly checking in, just for those who are curious. Um, Probably about 110 to 115 people who download just about every episode.
0: So thank you, 115 times. Yes,
1: (laughs) thank you to all of you who are following us and um thank you uh for listening to this episode as well so have a great week ahead
0: yep grace and peace you guys